Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is episode 310 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I'm James, joined by Ryan and Spencer this week to recap a really busy week of Brewers news. Uh, Coming fast and furious there. You know, we've got the manager stuff to talk about, uh, Brandon Woodruff situation, plus a whole bunch of questions. But first, uh, Spencer, how are you doing this weekend? I'm doing pretty well. Actually got to see a Badger win yesterday. Bucks have been on a nice roll, so things are going a lot better than they were a week ago, I guess. It's <laughs> <laughs> a rare Badger win, yeah. A that, rare that Badger win. <laughs> interesting. They 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 made it too interesting at the end again. But hey, uh going going bowling again. So can't wait to see them in like the Motor City Bowl or something like that. <laughs> Pinstripe bowl. <laughs> yes. Uh yeah, going back to Yankee Stadium. Right, how have you been this week? Good. Uh, made some money uh, on some uh, degenerate activities yesterday. That was that was a lot of fun. My brother is in from Boston, so of course we uh, we headed over to the local casino and uh, and uh, actually were quite successful. So it was a it was a fun afternoon that way. Uh, actually, afternoon into the evening, uh, and yep. then we came back and I watched my first Formula One race. Though I was mostly asleep because it started at midnight. So. <laughs> they're apparently into that so i don't know that's i don't think that's going to be a thing i i don't think i could take my soccer fandom and like transform it into f1 like they have and i'm not watching that netflix series so i will like refuse so <laughs> <laughs> already too many things to watch at this point exactly. uh, but if you if you like that good for you exactly Hope you enjoyed it um uh, the spectacle of it i i can't get into it but you know I'm not into everything, and that's okay. All right. Uh, like I mentioned, a, a lot to get to. So let's just dive right in because we have a ton of questions. And, of course, you can send in a question over on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash tailgate. Two bucks a month guarantees you get your questions answered both on this podcast and on Reporting as Eligible, the Packers podcast. Five bucks gets you that question perk plus some additional exclusive content including the minor league extra with ryan and james anderson of rotowire as well as paul's packer mini pods every week even if you're not a patron support us another way go to apple Podcasts, spotify wherever you are listening to this right now leave a five-star review for us and while you're there be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button make sure you never miss an episode there uh because you know uh, news has been coming fast and furious <laughs> over mm. the last couple of weeks. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, we learned Craig Council uh, crossing the state line over into Chicago, and that left an opening for the Brewers. And, uh, you know, after an uh, interview process that lasted a couple of weeks, they ultimately went with the in-house guy. Pat Murphy is named their new manager. Sort of feels like they also named a manager in waiting in some sort of terms in, in Ricky Weeks, giving him the title of associate manager. We'll talk about how rare that is. Uh, but we have a ton of Ricky questions. We'll get into that in a minute. Understandable. Still a favorite of mine. But uh, I guess first we have to address the guy who's actually in the manager's chair, at least nominally speaking. So... Uh, you know, Pat Murphy, his first non-interim gig in the, in the majors age of 65, obviously a long-term or long-time coach, I should say in the college ranks. But, uh, I, I guess Spencer, when, when Pat Murphy is stepping into his first managerial role at the age of 65, what would constitute a success for him? Do you think? Yeah, he, first of all, I guess I, I will say that the decision is growing on me a little bit. Over the last week, I wasn't thrilled when it first came out. Same. Uh, 
Kurt Hogue did a good job of prepping me for it by writing an article and letting me know that they were pretty interested in it. So that may have helped my initial reaction, but he, I do think that he's probably, if they weren't ready to give Weeks the job, which I kind of think they weren't, and they do want to eventually give it to him, that this makes some sense to keep everybody in house and do it this way. For him, success is continuing exactly what's been going on for the Brewers the last few years, in my opinion. It's continuing to play kind of that new era of baseball, not going into some old school habits that he may have had when he was a head coach in college or even in his short Padre stint. He needs to stay with what the Brewers have been doing. Now, that doesn't mean he has to be the exact same person Council was. He has to have it. He has to do it his own way, but success for him is just continuing to build on exactly what they've been doing and I don't think there's too much more to it. I I don't think I'm expecting any World Series with him or a guaranteed World Series or anything along those lines with him as the manager, but success is just to keep doing what's been happening already. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a transitional period for them as you start to have it would look like, you know, with Brandon Woodruff being DFA or not DFA, non-tendered, which we'll get to later, and Corbin Burns you know, having really one year left at most. It might be one, it might be none, but at most he has one year left. And then Willie Adamas, I mean, there's more of a possibility he could stick around, but still he's in the last year of his contract as well. So there is going to be this transition period as they're bringing up all these good young players that they have in the farm system. This is going to be an inevitable time of transition. So I guess kind of just going through that time period successfully and getting those guys to be successful um, would be a big feather in his cap. Like if he can, if he could successfully bring in guys like Tyler Black and Jackson Churio and Jefferson Caro and uh, Jacob Mizorowski, uh, Robert Gosser, all those guys, if he could successfully get them in and the freshman class from last year, help them to become better. Like if these guys can take steps forward and become the Brewers next core, that would be a huge success, right? Like that would be, even if they don't win particularly a lot in the time period, like if say they miss the playoffs next year or maybe for a couple of years, something like that, even if they're not actually making the playoffs, if those guys are becoming successful, that would be a long-term success for his tenure. So there's that. And I think I, I had the same reaction you did. I did not want this. I had it, I think, at one point. my The tweet I put out was something like, uh, um, uh, Mattingly worse than Murphy, and then uh, everybody else above Murphy. Uh, so it was like, well, at least he's better than Mattingly, which I really, really, really did not want. And I'll stick by that. Um, but so now that we, we have him looking into kind of what he is I think the thing that I missed out on before and didn't really consider was he does have a track record as a a very successful college head coach of developing young players like he knows what it takes to develop young players into uh you know successful baseball players so there is that background and so it, it I mean it's been a while since he was really kind of in that role and and doing that but I think that he understands that process and what it, it takes. And some of his comments from his initial press conference echoed that, right? So I think that is, that's the biggest plus here is he does have that sort of history. Um, and he does seem to have the, the respect of the players. Um, he, he does seem to be, you know, really, really uh, uh, 
loved that way. Um, it, it, it's kind of quirky. It sounds like it's a, uh, what did they, what did they say about his sense of humor? His sense of humor is very dry, extremely dry. Like, yeah. 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 I could see how him and Rowdy got along. Yeah. <laughs> some of those, some of those, uh, quotes that came out, but yeah. you know, focusing on, on tough love and all that. So, right. um, I, I I'm with you guys. I, I was kind of underwhelmed. You know, I, I think I told you guys privately and maybe publicly on Twitter. I can't remember. Uh, I, I tweet too much, but, uh, that, you know, Pat Murphy to me was maybe a sign that either they were fine with the status quo or that they were planning on taking, you know, like a half step back for a year or two, mm-hmm. uh, just to kind of develop the younger guys and that, you know, it, let the let the older veteran guy kind of take the hit on the one one loss record, if you will, while you kind of, you know, teach another guy to be manager, which maybe is kind of what's going on with Ricky Weeks. But also, you know, Ricky's title the last year has been with player development. And they were very clear, you know, in the introductory introductory press conference that, you know, mm-hmm. his role really is, you know, motivation and player development. So I, I guess with that in mind, Ryan, you know, a lot of teams shifting to this model of, you know, player development not ending in the minor leagues and continuing the development in at the major league level does that kind of give you a hint about their process and their priorities with these hires yeah that really does it's um what's interesting here is uh, so i think that's a big part of of what they're doing and i guess until you said that it wasn't that wasn't at the forefront of my mind i think that the the biggest thing in my mind was their priority here was continuity and like the and and keeping things kind of going the same way that that they have been, and I think that that was and they said as much in the press conference that that was that was true. Though I I now see your point. Like yeah, both Weeks and Murphy have sort of player development as a background, and so given what they're doing with their roster, that does make sense. So I I, I see that more now, but. I still think that like a big part of this was just like they're keeping things in house and they're keeping continuity and there are some pretty big pluses and minuses to that. I mean, on one hand, they have been extremely successful. They're either in the most successful period in franchise history here or the second most, depending on how you want to view that 78 to 82 run that they had. So they're they're either in the you know, they're 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 coming off of a, a period of success. And so like keeping continuity with that does have like something to recommend it, but it also feels a little bit like um, they're maybe trying to make a point here and that gets squishier (laughs) really quickly, right? Like that makes me uncomfortable because if they're trying to make the point here that, Hey, look, we have this up and running organization. That's really, really good. And we can keep it running by just installing the guy who was the number two behind this manager that you all loved, but we didn't keep, um, <laughs> then, right. okay, it sounds like you're trying to make a point there. And it's hard for me to escape the idea that they that this is something of a message send. And that feels like it's probably a bad idea. If that, was, if that really is a motivation here, then that probably is not a good motivation to have. It can work maybe, but I don't know. That... That one, I definitely feel conflicted about that because it does feel like, hey, Craig, watch this. Um, th- there's a certain element to this decision yeah. that feels a lot like that, right? Maybe. Yeah, I-, I would say or 
I would hope at least that that's maybe just a a side perk for Mark Adonacio and not a main driving factor. Yes, but who's exactly. to say? You know, exactly. Yeah, I, yeah. but the, the concern is there, right? Like you kind of worry about it, and yeah, that that part of it. It's there's also just the aspect of we're going to conduct a, a rigorous uh, uh, search, a, a, a league wide search for a uh, our next manager. We're going to leave no stone uncover- unturned. We're going to do a deep dive here. And oh, look, the guy, the guy that we found who's the best for the job was sitting right here in our in our in our coaching staff all along. He was literally the second in command uh, all along. And that always has a little bit of a like, really, how rigorous was the search really if you just determined that the best guy for the job happened to be sitting right there all along anyway? Uh, Not that it can't work. These things do sometimes work. But it it raises questions about the process and it leaves you kind of going, like, was there a better option? Were there better ways they could have gone here? Um, Yeah, we just have to wait and see. But it it definitely raises those questions, at least for me. I don't know about you, Spencer. I I definitely agree with everything you said. Um, Like you, I hadn't really looked at it from the player development standpoint, and I do think that's a really good point. And it is something that I think Weeks and Murphy should be able to bring to the table. So with the new kind of wave of young players coming in and guys that we have returning, it does make some sense from that standpoint, for sure. I think that's a good way to look at it. I do think that there may have been some pettiness in the decision, which I don't always love. But I do think I could I like to point to the Bucks in this situation when when they hired John Horst. I think they got knocked just for months on end because of the process they found they took to get to that decision. It seemed like nobody thought it was a good process. Sometimes a bad process actually ends in a good result. So while the process isn't exactly the way I would have probably gone through it, I do wonder how interested they were in Espada from the Astros. I think if he would have gotten out of Houston, that he may have been the guy they were the most interested in. He fits a lot of what they're looking for. But I also wonder just how much they kind of backed themselves into a corner by bringing the entire staff back before they even started interviewing new managerial candidates. Not that they couldn't still get out of those deals, but that would cost money. And two, I think most managers are going to want to at least bring part of their staff with them, or at least bring in some of their guys that they would want. They would probably have gotten the associate manager or the bench coach spot if a new manager came in, but I don't know that any of the other spots would have been super available for them to fill. Yeah. I mean, well, what they could have done there was first off, I don't think if Murphy doesn't get the managerial job, I don't think he stays. I think he goes. Oh, I agree. So Yeah. yeah. So that spot would have been open. And yeah, like the positions that existed would have been, you know, filled at least for a year or whatever. And I think that's like kind of appropriate. Like I don't think managers would probably maybe they would have personal conflicts that would arise and they would need to make a change after year one. But they also if there was somebody they really liked and they're like, hey, I really like this guy and I want them to be on my staff, um, just create a new position for them. Like that's that's what (laughs) we're doing in MLB these days. Staffs are just growing like even non San Francisco staffs are growing exponentially. It's like they're they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Very true. To be fair, 
they have a pretty good staff coming back. I mean, guys like Walker McKinvin, Chris Hook, those those would be sought after names if they ended up in the open market. So right. it makes sense to make sure you can bring those guys back and whoever the manager is, you would want people like that to be on the staff. So absolutely. All right, a uh, couple of Patreon questions related to Pat Murphy here. Let's start with Morgoth10 asking, over under two and a half Murph ejections coming this year. Ryan, you just had a gambling trip, so uh, <laughs> let's start with you. Uh, I'm smashing that over. I'm smashing that yeah. over hardcore. He got ejected a bunch of times as a bench coach. Like, <laughs> yep. You know, like he's no stranger to ejections. I think he will be very, uh, he'll be very comfortable with the idea of getting himself ejected. Um, and yeah, we were, I, I don't know who I was talking to. We were joking about it a little bit that like, that'll be Ricky Weeks, first chance to, you know, be at the helm of a team and, <laughs> right. and to run things. And hopefully he, uh, he won't, uh, get the, the Dennis Hopper, uh, in, uh, in, uh, uh, Hoosiers thing where it's like, oh no, no, <laughs> don't get yourself ejected. Don't leave me here. It's like that, <laughs> that sort of thing. But yeah, I, I definitely take the over on that. I think he will uh, he will get himself run a few times. I would say at least once against Council. At least sure. once against Council. Like those Cubs games, count on it at least once. He's going to be fired up. Everybody on that team is going to be fired up to beat the Cubs. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the guy got it. Didn't he get ejected for screaming at umpires like shortly after coming back from his massive heart attack? So it's like, dude, <laughs> calm down. Yeah, we, we also probably should mention that, that like, you know, he did have a massive heart attack and like, like he's not in the, the like pristine, perfect health here. Sure. Um, but he also does have. Uh, did you see the age of his kids? He's like five, like a five year old. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. No, it's tough for those guys to calm down. But yeah, it's sort of reminiscent to me uh, of, you know, when Greg Popovich would intentionally get thrown out of games. So, you know, Tim Duncan and Becky Hammock coached for a little bit. So (laughs) there we go. Uh, Nothing like on the job experience. All right. Jack Bushman asking uh, similarly, Spencer, how many war is Pat Murphy's mean mug worth? Uh, Man, it's a good look for a tough, grizzled old manager, right? Oh, yeah. It's it's an intimidating look. I would not want to get yelled at by Pat Murphy. I feel like that would be a terrible experience. Um, I'll give him point one war for his mean mug. I don't think it's negative. I don't think it's worth much, but I'll give him point one for it. A little something, yeah. I mean, Pat Murphy has manager face, right? Like that is exactly oh, yeah. like you say. Yeah. Major league manager. You put a picture of that guy up there. And you're like, yep, that's that's what a major league manager looks like. Uh, sure is. So, yeah, he. Uh, he definitely has he has the glower down he has the uh the mean mug down he has the uh uh like the the intensity look down like i'm i'm here in in great uh in great strain and great intensity um hopefully he'll he'll do okay with that it we're not going to get a big change in terms of uh the the how stressed our manager looks during games <laughs> yeah um so i guess you know murphy maybe is a little bit more stoic so maybe yeah. it's a little bit Craig like really wore like his anxiety on his face uh, and Murphy maybe you know, be more stoic, but we'll see. It's it, he definitely he looks like a, a major league manager right out of central casting. <laughs> he's he's got resting manager face he for does. sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, Sean Griffin. Let's move on to Ricky Weeks. Sean Griffin asking, how common is the associate manager role that Ricky is in? What is the career path for someone in this role? It is it um, almost 
sorry, is it almost certain that this will lead to a managerial role? I think, you know, Spencer, I mentioned he's he's basically manager in waiting, right? And reading between the lines, that's kind of the idea here is to kind of, you know, get him some experience in the dugout in a managerial role without kind of giving him the title. What do you think that this associate manager role will entail going forward? It It definitely feels like it was a situation where they wanted to keep everything together. They liked Ricky Weeks as the potential manager, but they didn't think he was quite ready for it. So this is his way to get on the field. I mean, he's been in player development like we talked about. That's around the team, and he has been around the major league team at times. But it's not the same as being in the dugout and being part of the coaching staff full-time. Like I think you learn a lot more from being in that situation. I think the actual associate manager role probably isn't a very common one that they give that title to, but I do think that there are people basically playing that exact role. I think Joe Espada was doing that in Houston the last few years with Dusty Baker. Like, I think that was his role. He was just called the bench coach. So Mm -hmm. I think it is probably when they have somebody they like internally, I bet teams do this a decent amount, but it definitely feels like, almost certainty that he will be the manager after Pat Murphy. I would, I would be pretty surprised if he's not. Yeah. It's a little bit of a weird thing about that though, because you wonder if Murphy is successful, right? If Murphy, if the the Brewers go to some playoff, maybe win some playoff games, um, unlike what had been happening lately. Like if, if that happens, I think Murphy could stick around a little while, you know, like we're not talking about if, if the Brewers have success under Murphy, they're winning in the regular season. They may be winning the playoffs. He could be around another five plus years pretty easily. Um, if that's true. And if weeks is viewed as a big part of that success, um, the chance of him getting poached by somebody else in the interim would seem relatively high, right? Like if the Brewers have identified him as the manager in waiting, uh, other teams are going to be taking notice of him and will look at him and say, okay, is this a guy we need to consider as well? And so I wonder if if they're really successful here if they do that. Alternatively, if Pat Murphy's tenure is a bad one, are you just going to say, okay, well, that's fine. We're just going to fire him and we're going to go on to the guy we have in waiting and we're just going to do that and that's that's perfectly fine. Um, and that sort of setting weeks up in a situation where like, okay, you got the job, but like the previous guy wasn't successful and now you have to kind of turn it around. And even though you were on the staff before, that's also, I mean, it's not unprecedented. Fundamentally, Craig Council basically did that in 2015. I was going to say, yeah, it's it's a slightly different model, but same general idea. Council was in the front office. He wasn't actually in the dugout. So in that way, it's different. But so like there's precedent for it, but it's a little bit of a weird thing, right? Like that. So you kind of wonder about what the actual path looks like. How? What is the ideal uh, uh, path for this? I don't quite know what that looks like. But yeah, uh, one thing I'm I'm sad. I'm very glad you're here, Spencer. We love having you on. I'm I'm a little sad we don't get to hear Noonan go off about title creep in sports right now. Because, <laughs> yes, because yes. I mean, associate. This is part of it, right? Maybe that's part of trying to keep him from being poached. Is like, yeah, title creep. You you give a title. Titles often come with 
more money. Uh, so there's maybe that aspect of it right. too. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And it wasn't just this either because they did the same thing with Walker McKinvin. What was he? Yeah. He's the pitching or no, he's the um, run, run prevention, prevention coordinator. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So you got a run prevention coordinator. Uh, I think Jim Henderson was moved up from bullpen coach to associate pitching coach. Yep, so, which is the same thing. But right. anyway, <laughs> so you have this all across the staff, and uh, yeah, it, it is too bad we didn't get here and you didn't go off about this because he would have been funny about it. <laughs> then, see if we can remember it for next time we record. Uh, by the way, we probably are going we unless something wild happens. And I think we took care of basically all the news here. Um, we're not going to be having a, a podcast over Thanksgiving, so we'll be back in two weeks. Yeah, no, Matt Arnold definitely didn't want to be working over Thanksgiving, and that's why Pat Murphy's the manager. <laughs> we even got done this week. <laughs> All right. Uh, Mark Podscarby, another Ricky Weeks question, asking, so it seems like it's clear Ricky Weeks is being groomed to be the heir apparent to Murphy. So what year do you believe Ricky Weeks will ascend to become the full-time manager? Matt Arnold said the number one thing he was looking for in a manager was he wanted the, quote, best human. If he truly wanted the best human, who do you think he would have hired for the job? So... Uh, you know, we kind of touched on this briefly, but Spencer, how, what's the timeline here, uh, in your view of when Ricky would maybe take over the full-time job? Yeah, I think Ryan made a good point that if Pat is having a lot of success, that it may change the timeline, but I think the current one is probably two or three years. He got a three-year deal. I think that's kind of what the Brewers are expecting to be the timeline, that doesn't mean it's going to be that timeline. Like Ryan said, it could be very successful. It could be very unsuccessful and maybe that changes their plans. But I do think right now they're probably looking at a two, three year type of timeline and hoping that's when he would take over in terms of the best human that they could have hired. Brandon Woodruff. That's my, that's my answer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's a lot of praise for him as a human being. We got so many questions about that coming up. Uh, But yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, I think the two to three year window makes a lot of sense. We've got so many questions. We'll just we'll keep rolling on this. Um, yeah. Are there are there uh, Nobel Peace Prize winners out there who'd like to manage a, um, <laughs> who'd like to manage a Major League Baseball team who aren't also war criminals like who, find one of those people? I don't know. All right. Uh, Ian Poplin asking, is Ricky Weeks favorite childhood player, by the way, a Nepo baby hire based on his tenure at the club? Or has he been doing baseball management things between his playing retirement and now haven't followed him too closely since he left the team? So I, I guess, Spencer, you want to talk a little bit about like his player development role and, and what that entails? Yeah. So it's been two years, I believe. I think it's the last two seasons he's been with back with the team in that player development role. I believe he's kind of been a roving type guy where he has been down in the minors, but he's also been with the major league club. So I think it just, I don't think this is purely like, okay, he's a former brewer. Let's give him this job. I think there's a lot more to it. He's clearly earned respect in these two years that he's been back with the club because they have a lot of guys who are kind of in that similar vein where you have Carlos Villanueva, who's been there even longer, actually had some coaching experience in the minors. You have, um, Who's the former Timber Rattlers coach? Forgetting his name. Uh, Matt now. Erickson. Matt Erickson. Yep. He's been with the he's been with the org for a really long time. He's been in the MLB. He's been with the MLB team for the last two years now. And they still decided to kind of give Ricky this jump instead of either of those two. So I think he it's not it's not a Nepo type hire, I don't think. But I do think <laughs> that he does have a lot to learn probably in terms of being 
on the field and being around the team full time. So that's really the main reason he's in this role and maybe not the managerial one right away, but he, he has been around the team. He has been really, it sounds like he's been pretty involved in the player development the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. So he, he's, he's definitely had a role. It isn't just let's give him the job because he was a fun second baseman a decade ago. Yeah, no, this is definitely like, here's your, your corollary to Craig council, right? Because this, he was doing basically what council was doing with the front office before he became the manager. The difference was, is that they hired council at a time period when they knew they were headed into a rebuild. They knew Melvin was retiring. They knew that they were tearing the team down and that they were headed into a rebuild. And they figured we'll let Craig learn on the job managerially and let him just, you know, go take his lumps as he's doing that. Um, in real time and that worked out you know fabulously well for them obviously um i think the difference here is they're not planning on going into a rebuild they're not that's not the plan here they're they're this is a reload situation this is not a rebuild situation they think they can contend uh if not immediately very quickly here and want to keep the the train they think the train is already very much on the tracks they want to keep it going so yeah, this is this is not like that. I mean, it's no more a nepo baby hire than Craig Council was uh, originally, and there were people that did criticize the Craig Council hire uh, as being a you know uh, like they should have gone outside the organization. Keith Law kind of famously um, uh, pooped on that for several years before he was like, "Oh yeah, Craig Council is actually a really good manager," and they were right about that, um, even if I don't love their process. So yeah, uh, I I think this is fine. It's yeah, it, this is fine. One more Ricky Weeks question before we move on to the other news of the week. Tom Haight asking, uh, Ricky Weeks was anointed as the chosen one when he was drafted. Is he going to become manager in a few years and deliver a World Series? Or is this more like his Darth Vader moment where he makes all the young guys and rookies terrible and causes us to lose hope? So I don't know, uh, Ryan. I don't see him killing the young players, <laughs> um, you know, like murdering them. So the like, Ricky Weeks Death Star. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, yeah like the, the going into the temple and killing the younglings. No, I don't see Ricky Weeks going in and doing that. Uh, so it hopefully won't literally work out that way. But no, I mean... Yeah, that I actually there was an interesting thing. Um, so Ricky Weeks was the Golden Spikes winner uh, 20 years ago now, and he still is the all time NCAA leader in terms of batting average. And I made the comment on Twitter when I saw that. I think JJ Cooper put that out there that like he's been wearing that millstone around his neck ever since because people <laughs> were expecting him to come in and be like a 350 hitter and that was sure. never going to be his game. He was always going yeah. to, you know, take a lot of walks. He was going to strike out and hit for power. And like people were expecting this high batting average because of what they saw in college. Um so yeah, yeah, I just thought it was interesting because it was like, yeah, that was that was 20 years ago and he has some experience dealing with um when success didn't come right away for him yeah. of having to work his butt off. I mean, he and um Willie Randolph really worked to turn him into a for a few years there before his injuries really piled up. He was an above average defender for a few years there after being really dreadful when he came up. Um, And he also had to go through a lot in terms of, um, you know, figuring out how to hit big league pitching, especially how to deal with that slider away. He had to deal with a lot before he became finally in like 2009, 2010, 2011, the above average hitter that we had you know projected him and hoped he was going to be so he's gone through a lot and 
I think, you know, having had to being being highly touted and then having to go through growing pains and having to go through things. I think he can bring that experience to players because everybody's going to go through development ups and downs. Like that's just, it's part of the game. And he, I think, you know, has a really um, having done it. I think he can, he can bring that to players. Nothing ever came easy for Ricky. He really had to work his butt off to, to get where he was. So, you know, I, I think that's a, a positive thing he could bring to the whole development scheme here especially with such a young crew of players coming in, as you guys talked about, right? Like yep. in addition to the last year's, you know, so-called freshmen, the, the Jackson Churios of the world too, who will like Ricky will be coming in with, you know, uh, all this fanfare Churio, probably the most, you know, highly touted prospect the Brewers have had since Ricky weeks. Um, I, I think yeah. that'll be a, a helpful presence to have around for sure. All right, uh, let's move on to the other big news of the week. Uh, obviously, Brandon Woodruff uh, getting non-tendered by the Brewers. Uh, you know, probably not surprising. Still a, a really kind of sucky moment as a fan to go through, just realizing that this is probably the the end uh, of his time in Milwaukee. Yeah, the Brewers had the statement where they said they hope to bring him back, but obviously you're not going to non-tender him if you you know, tried and failed to get a, a contract done. So I, I think writing kind of on the wall here, but uh, a couple of questions about Brandon Woodruff. First one coming from Nick Vollendorf asking uh, or saying the Brewers have non-tendered Brandon Woodruff due to his recent surgery and the expected long recovery from that. My questions are regarding insurance. Don't ball clubs buy insurance so they don't have to pay injured players' salaries? Since no team is likely to sign him until he's healthy again, does Woody have insurance to cover medical bills and his lack of income? So I guess, Ryan, any insight there? Yeah, okay. So uh, this works differently in different sports. First off, Brandon Woodruff, I'm looking at his baseball reference page, and according to that, he's made just shy of $22 million in his uh, major league career so far. So Brandon Woodruff, in terms of having money already, he has, I mean, I unless he's a total spendthrift, he's got some money. So, like, he's not going to be uh, destitute because of this. Like, he does have that to fall back on. Um, the insurance thing is tricky because it used to be much more common that teams would buy insurance for players for these big contracts. And then if things went badly, uh, those insurance payments would be paid out. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the, the famous ones. Maybe Albert Bell was one. Um, there, there are some ones that go back where like teams were collecting big amounts of money on these insurance payments um, for things that went bad. I Actually, I think Prince Fielder is one or was one. He, he has just recently ran out. Um, but uh, it's been a lot harder for teams lately. This is something that's come up. Uh, you'll hear that teams haven't been able to get insured for some of these contracts. And so they're like basically having to kind of fly naked on them. They can't get team uh, uh, people to insure contracts. Uh, I think I heard that in the context of Jacob deGrom and his contract with the Rangers uh, that like nobody was willing or the premiums would have been so high that it basically just didn't make any sense for them to do it because at that point you're just planning on it not working. Like if, right. if you're, if you're paying the premiums that it would take to do it, you're basically just planning on it failing. And what's the point of doing it if you're just planning on it failing? So sure. you just don't have any upside then, right? Like it's just, uh, it's sort of pointless. Um, so in terms of what the players do now, 
what my expectation is here, and I think what other people's expectation is as well, he is going to find a team somewhere, as long as the medicals aren't a complete and utter disaster. Um, he's going to find somebody to give him some sort of uh, a, like nominal amount for this year. Nominal, a couple million dollars probably. Um, two, three million dollars, something like that, for this year to rehab and then get kind of a discount on 2025 and maybe like a team option for 2026. I don't know. Um, the Brewers, it sounds like we're trying to do this. They were trying to work out something with him. They were also shopping him to other teams who would have had to have done the same thing, right? Like they sure. would have, yeah. they would have done the same thing. And I think it's really important that we like, we understand here, Spencer, you were talking about this, uh, a, a number of people, uh, smart people on Twitter who get this. We're talking about this. The Brewers didn't really have much of a choice here. If they couldn't work out a multi-year deal, tendering Brandon Woodruff was not an option. That just really, all that does, if, if you are planning on him missing all of next year, which is basically, I think if you get anything out of him next year, it would sort of be surprising. Um, everybody is planning on him missing next year, at least. Uh, with him, you know, being uh, one year away from free agency, uh, you would just be taking that full salary if you tendered him. He would be entitled to the full, you know, eleven point five to twelve million, whatever it was. He would be entitled to that, and then he would be a free agent after that. And there's really no upside for that. In the past, we've seen the Brewers did like tender Jimmy Nelson in sort of a similar situation where he had shoulder surgery after. The slide back to first in Chicago. <laughs> yep. uh, heavy sigh. Um, after that happened. But the difference there was Jimmy Nelson was headed into his first year of arbitration. So, yeah. one, the money was a lot less. It was only, you know, like $3.8 million. Um, but the other thing that, that was going on there was there was years after that that they would have been able to, you know, have him on the team and would have been able to keep him around. This is a situation where the timing of this was perfectly awful for Woodruff and for the Brewers and for everybody. Like, there's never a good time to have a shoulder capsule injury, to be fair. But, like, the timing of this one was perfectly bad because it just didn't leave a lot of wiggle room. So now he is free to go out there and find a team to give him, like, you know, that two-year deal that we've kind of been talking about and see what it is. And, you know, my my gut feeling on this is that the medical situation is not looking particularly promising because if it was looking promising, I feel like the Brewers would have done a deal already or somebody would have traded for him before the non-tender deadline and would have right. done the deal with him. I think baseball is kind of telling us right now and we'll see if this holds up. But baseball is telling us right now that there's at least a lot of uncertainty about what Brandon Woodruff's health outlook looks like. And that sure. sucks. But it also, yeah. you know, it kind of is what it is, right? Yeah, it's like you said, just the worst possible timing for all parties involved. And that's yeah. where you end up with with this difficult decision. Uh, next question on Woodruff comes from JD, who's asking, where would you rank Woodruff in terms of best starting pitchers in Brewers history? I think I'd have him just behind Higuera in sheets, just ahead of Caldwell, Gallardo, and Burns. So I guess, Spencer, where does he slot in in your, I guess, Mount Rushmore of Brewers pitchers? He's definitely on the Mount Rushmore. I would definitely say he's on there. Um, I would Honestly, I would agree with that. Obviously, I... Caldwell, Higuera, a little bit before my time, but I know a decent amount about them. 
Higuera yeah. might be the only one. I, I I would be willing to move Woodruff into second on that list, honestly. Uh, Burns obviously had the Cy Young, which gives him a nice kind of boost. But he also had the 2019 that right. kind of drags him right back down. So for me, I, Woodruff's my favorite pitcher I've ever had around on the Brewers. I just loved watching him compete. He he was a bulldog. Like I, Everything I don't like about Corbin Burns at times is what I loved about Brandon Woodruff. <laughs> he just went out. It's a good he way to put it. Hitters, he goes out, he trusts his stuff. He does not have any concerns about just going after guys and trying to get outs. And I I love that about him. He he was always ready to take the ball in a big spot in a big game, even when he was a reliever, even the NLCS in 2018, which we have a question about in a second, but <laughs> he always kind of seemed like he was ready for that spot. So for me, he's my favorite. I guess if I were ranking him, he's probably two or three overall. But yeah, he, it sucks. <laughs> Friday sucked. It was not. Fun. Yeah. It was a tough day. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's kind of weird. So, like, first off, I think you have to compare them to Burns because they're basically contemporaries. They came up at yeah. almost the same time. And Woodruff was the steadier one, though he hasn't pitched as much as Burns. So, like, steady in terms of performance, because you've seen these ups and downs from Burns, especially related to the home runs, where it's like, um, there's you know good burns bad burns 2019 Woodruff doesn't have a 2019 on his resume not even close so there's there's nothing like that there um but he didn't you know pitch as much which I guess kind of fits with the the standard Brewers pitcher thing Ben Sheets you know what would have been if not for the injuries Teddy Higuero what would have been if not for the injuries like this really is sort of fitting into the standard Brewers mold of like of, of pitchers that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he's better than Gallardo. Um, I think he's better than um, Cald- Caldwell's a hard one. Like I really don't have a context for car for Caldwell other than just looking at the numbers on the page. Like that's, that's a really tough one. Um, but yeah, I think he's kind of it, him and Burns are, are an interesting duo and will go down in Brewers history together because like their careers basically overlapped each other. And, I think, you know, they they offer some interesting uh, contrasts with each other while both being really good in their own ways. Like Burns was in, or uh, Woodruff was never as good as Burns was at his peak. Like it, so, th- that also you know wasn't there. Uh, yeah, I think that like those two kind of belong. If I was going to do a Mount Rushmore, so we're talking four faces because they decided not to add any more faces to Mount Rushmore. Um, yeah, I, I think it would be Sheets Higuera. Burns and Woodruff at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess more questions on historical context. Steve DeRozier uh, saying, James, hey, that's me, tweeted that Brandon Woodruff hitting a home run off Clayton Kershaw in the NLCS is a top five moment in the 50 plus year history of the Brewers. I agree 100%. What do you think are the other top moments in Brewers history if that's a top five spot? So, uh, you know, I, I told you guys, obviously, I I probably have recency bias just because I don't remember much, if any, of the 90s. Not that there was many top moments for the person in the 90s, and I definitely, you know, missed the 80s and, and, and the 70s. So, um, you know, for me, it, it's probably very 
recent stuff, but also this being one of the most successful runs of the Brewers history, I, mm-hmm. I feel like this kind of warranted too. So uh, I guess outside of uh, Woodruff and that reaction, it's, you know, a bunch of Ryan Braun home runs, the grand slams, you know, the grand slam against the Cubs, the home run to clinch the division title in 2011 against the Marlins. You had Corey Hart, like just celebrating at second base and frame once he made contact. That was great. Um, you know, CC's complete game, uh, similarly to, to clinch that and that reaction. I, I don't know. Uh, Spencer, how about you? Yeah, I think, well, obviously kind of, before our time, if we have to talk about big moments, Cooper's hit in yeah. the ALCS, yep. the huge one. Robin's 3,000th is a huge one. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, obviously, I was 10 in 2008, so that's kind of the first year I really, really remember Yeah, everything that was going on in that and kind of could feel the magnitude of what was happening, so... That game, 162, just in general, I mean, the Braun Homer, Brian Anderson's voice crack on that. Yeah. Like, even at the time, you could just feel how cool that was. Even as a 10-year-old, I knew, like, the energy in that place and the energy from everybody around. My great-grandpa was moving as, around as much as I'd seen him at that point when that ball went out. Like, everybody was <laughs> so excited about that moment. To me, that's one of the biggest in Brewers history, kind of like the Woodruff Homer, where it was just everybody exploded at once. And those moments are the ones I think of for this type of question. The double play to end the game was huge, obviously, but I just, for me, the home run kind of, I feel that part more. I remember that part a little more vividly. Um, I think Ben Sheets, 18 strikeouts. I was also with my great-grandpa for that one, watching that game. So that game was, uh, that was a huge I just remember watching it. And I mean, when I watched the highlights looking back, man, those zones were huge. <laughs> yeah, they were. I cannot, <laughs> I cannot believe how big strike zones were in the early 2000s. But he was dominating, and the shadows and everything were helping that along. But he was just shoving that day. And so that's, to me, that's always up there. Prince Fielder's first homer for me when I, it was a great call, too, I think. Matt Vetskirchen, yeah. No, it was uh, Sutton. Oh, was it, it was Sutton? Sutton. Yeah, oh, it was Sutton. Sutton, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, both cheesy in their own ways. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Prince will soon be king. Yeah, okay. He yeah. rehearsed oh, yeah. that well, one. Well, Prince and Weeks in the good. same game. Like, that's yeah. not one singular yep. moment, but that game, also because it has the famous Ryan Braun interview in it. Yeah. So they're interviewing <laughs> Ryan Braun, and Weeks and Fielder hit their uh, first uh, career home runs. It really did feel like it's happening. It's They're arriving, and it's it's going to be great. And yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, about Morgan's walk off also. Yeah. Morgan's walk off. That's true. Yeah. Keep that was kind line. of, that was kind of my list. Like the, the two uh, playoff uh, uh, wins. So Cooper's hit um, bringing in the, the winning run there and then uh, Morgan's walk off. So those, those have to be up there. The, I, yeah, I think the double play to end that game was CC just standing and like, going nuts on the mound like that that the I still double have that bobblehead yeah. yeah yeah like that that is indelible like that that is just part of uh the team history and i mean 
after having not made the playoffs in 26 years, that moment is so like and ultimately it was like the other there's so many images to take away from that day one i will never forget is mark with goggles on running down the hallway with all, <laughs> with all the players doused in champagne and like all of that i always remember that because he looked like such a dork it was great um uh yeah it, obviously robin's 3000th hit i don't remember watching it i don't even know if it was on tv in madison we got very sketchy brewers coverage um still at that point but um i do remember like the the lead up to it um that like it was such a big deal like we knew it was coming and it was it was such a big deal that it was happening and that you know it was all of those um a lot of these were the ones that i mentioned here yount's diving catch to end the uh nevis yeah. no hitter is a big one even if he didn't need to dive like that's <laughs> that he was hamming it up on that one but still you know that's that's a cool moment um the five home run inning in 2006, I believe, where that was like, uh, oh, yeah, this group, they are announcing their arrival in a big, big way. Um, so he had five home runs in an inning, which was, I think, tied the major league record at the time. Um, more recently, the Kane not today uh, yeah. to open on opening day against the Cardinals was that 2019. Yes. Yep. Like, you know, because no. it's wait. It, it, it was it was one of those, yeah. Twenty nineteen was um, Yelich walk off, but yeah, okay, yeah. Th- so like Kane, Kane's doing that. Uh, uh, one of those opening days, uh, having the, the not today. That was that's a pretty special one. Um, yeah, th- like those are those are kind of the biggies. Woodruff's dinger. Uh, I was not in my seat in the stadium for that oh, one. No. I was I was at the bar. Uh, and because it, it was a Friday night and like um, we were tying one on. And so we were uh, back at the bar behind the stands and just everybody who was standing there to buy stuff starts immediately pounding on the uh, um, the bar. And it just got so unbelievably loud in that place. That was that was something special. The the Woodruff thing really was something special. So it it doesn't quite, you know, have the the impact of some of these really big moments in franchise history because it didn't actually win a playoff series or anything like that, but it was, it's in that next tier. And it's definitely like one of the things people are going to take away, which is almost sad in a way because Brandon Woodruff was a great pitcher. He didn't need to hit a home run to be like remembered, but because of the context of all of that, yeah, it, it was pretty awesome. Next question this week comes from Jay Google talking uh, about the the other pitcher tied with Brandon Woodruff in, in Brewers history, uh, Corbin Burns. So Jay's question here, uh, with Burns' comments the other day, it's now time to move him, right? Also, which of the five deals that the great Jim Bowden suggested would you take? So <laughs> um, I got I believe, this. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe these are the deals. Uh, so Baltimore, uh, Kobe Mayo, Deal Hall, Chase McDermott, and Dylan Beavers. You got the Dodgers, uh, right-hander Emmett Sheehan and Ryan Pepio could be, you know, possibly the foundation of a blockbuster deal or a package of 19-year-olds Peyton Martin and Kendall George, who was a first-round pick in 2023, or outfielder Andy Pajes and third baseman Jake Galoff, a second-rounder last year. Then you've got Arizona with lefty Yumin Lin, their best pitching prospect, and Outfielder Jack Hurley, their third-round pick in this year's draft. Maybe even Christian Robinson, Texas. You've got Leody Tavares, Justin Foscue, and Josh Steffen. 
and San Francisco, uh, right-hander Carson Wisenhunt, outfielder Jairo Pomares, and infielder Diego Velazquez. So a lot of names there. Um, I, I don't know how likely any of them are because they all seem very rich uh, for one year of Corbin Burns. Ryan, you're nodding your head. What do you think? Yeah, that's exactly what my reaction was. Jay and I were talking about this earlier this week, and it was just like, uh, yeah, I honestly, any of these kind of could work. I don't know much about the Arizona one. That's the one I have the most. You may have more uh, insight into that one than I do, uh, Spencer, but like, uh, yeah, some of these seem pretty pie in the sky. Like, he sort of acknowledges the San Francisco wouldn't want to deal Carson Wilson Hunt, but here he is in the deal no. anyway. And we'll turn a couple other no. players along with him anyway. Um, I mean, I'd take any of these immediately just on the surface, and I'm not a big prospect guy, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, they, there's definitely some just, yeah. I, this seems hopelessly, hopelessly overdoing it. I don't think any of these teams necessarily would be willing to do any of these deals. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's kind of like, well, I'd slam on any of these, but no, it's, it's over, yeah, over asking, I think. Um which really does say something about where Jim Bowden is at, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> I agree, though. I would I would not be opposed to any of these. For the Arizona one, Yuman uh, Lin's pretty young, but he's, like, chucking upper 90s, touching triple digits at, like, 19, 20 years old already. And Hurley was actually a guy I really wanted the Brewers to take in the draft this last year, so I would enjoy that. Christian Robinson, I believe, is the guy who yes. has had some off-the-field issues. So I'm not sure I would even I, – I could just take him out of that deal and still be fine with the return. Um, yeah, the, honestly, the but, Christian Robinson thing, it's a wild, wild story. You can look up and see exactly what happened. But it involved him punching some police officer and um, having pretty severe mental health issues. Um, and then not being allowed back into the country because he wasn't a citizen. So he basically was kept out of the country for quite a while and lost a lot of development time because he had, like I said, he basically was having like a psychotic episode and punched a police officer. And that ended very poorly for him. I think the point being here is if Corbin Burns is traded, you all are going to be pretty disappointed in the return. And it's not a sign that Matt Arnold sucks. It's just like stuff like this thrown out by mm -hmm. bad former GMs does not help the the perception of the final deal, right? Sure so. doesn't. Yeah, this is the, yeah, this raises the expectation and raises the bar on what people think you could get for one year of anybody. But like, you know, Burns wasn't you know at his best last year and it but like one year of anybody is it going to bring you i don't think uh, that these deals things like this most of this wouldn't get you juan soto for a year let alone like corbin it just i it's yeah this is bad this is very very bad <laughs> jim bowden is bad like i didn't do Stop do not recommend people. do not recommend no. Not even to mention that he is now a Boris, Boris client, so they're not extending him if they trade for him, except also maybe that. the Dodgers, I mean. But even then, yeah. like, they're going to head to – yeah, he's yeah. going to want to test free agency or get such – you're going to have to give him such a big deal that, like, it, it would – it would – it would dwarf whatever like anybody would reasonably expect. Sure, you could offer him three hundred fifty million over twelve years or something, and I'm sure he would take that. But 
yeah, like who would who would give up a ton of prospects and then do that? The Chicago Bears play in the, the NFL, Chicago not Bears. an MLB. I was going to say, yes, yes. We needed a Bears to, you know, trade for somebody and then give him a market value contract uh, before free agency. That's exactly what we need. But yeah, not happening. All right. Uh, you know, speaking of things that actually did happen, it was a busy week on the Holy transaction cow. front. So, Luke Croy's suitcase, a question here. Uh, which trade this week are you most excited about? Do any of these random minor leaguers or 4A guys get you going? So, uh, just to kind of sum things up, uh, Brewers have acquired Jake Bowers from the Yankees for Jace Avina and Brian Sanchez. Chad Patrick from the A's for Abraham Toro. Oliver Dunn from the Phillies for Henry Mendez and Robert Moore. They also signed Yanni Hernandez, Anoli Paredes, and Jared Kading to minor league contracts. And they added Jefferson Carroll and Bradley Blaylock to the 40-man roster ahead of the uh, deadline to protect guys from the Rule 5. So, um, you know, some of these guys, you know, Abraham Toro most notably, Spencer traded because he's going to be non-tendered and you just get something for him. But uh, like like I tweeted, this is where I just turn to you and be like, anything interesting about any of these guys? I The more I looked at it, I do like Oliver Dunn. I actually think that could be a pretty, pretty interesting pickup for the Brewers. He's been, he was injured in the Yankees organization for his first few years after being drafted. He was actually drafted in the minor league rule five last year by the Phillies, but he, he stepped in and actually showed a a huge uptick in power. He takes a ton of walks and while he does strike out a decent amount, he actually doesn't swing and miss at an insane rate, which to me means he is probably kind of passive at times. And that's, I mean, you get the walks with that, but you also can get taking too many strikes or taking too many hittable pitches that to me is something that you can work around a lot more easily than someone who has a really high swinging strike rate. So I think there could be a pretty good bet. I, I saw some people say like a Jason Kipnis comp at his best, that would be a really good turnout obviously, but I could kind of see a scooter type of hitter in there, which with more, with more walks. So to me, that's a, that's a pretty good bet for somebody who I was getting, I was pretty low on Mendez and more, Especially, I was I was always low on Moore. I didn't like that pick. I wasn't a huge fan of the pick from the beginning. Mendez, I there's a huge ceiling there, but he has a long way to go. He's going to need a swing change. And kind of honestly, since he got concussed in Carolina two years ago, he has been struggling pretty bad since he came back. So I wonder if there are some long-term effects from all the injuries he's had. But I know that people kind of freaked out because they were two top 30 pipeline prospects to me they were not neither of them were top 30 in the brewers organization i wouldn't put either of them in the top 30 so and done i would i would put done probably around 20 so i think he could challenge for the second base job next year and right away out of spring training he the bat could be there he seems decent enough defensively i don't think he's ever going to be insanely good there but He's got a decent arm. He moves pretty well. I think he could steal more bases than he did in Philadelphia. I was, um, somebody pointed this out to me, the the Phillies double-A organization stole like the third fewest bases in all of double-A. And he went to the AFL and went 12 for 12. And I also saw that, 
Yeah, and I also saw that he he's run a 6.5 60-yard dash, which is very good. It's straight line speed. It's not the exact same, but I think there might be more stolen base potential than he was showing with the Phillies just because they don't seem to be in on attempting to steal, which means he didn't get as many chances to go out and do it. So he's super interesting to me. I, I kind of like that trade a lot. Uh, the others, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, trades, but. I was hoping you would leave that one for me because, yeah, Dunn, <laughs> Dunn is obviously the most interesting of these guys. Like, by leaps and bounds, he's the most interesting guy here. Uh, and I, I really am interested to hear you say the swinging strike rate is low. Like, that is that is key. And, yes, I th- it is easier to coach guys to be a little bit more aggressive and to work on, like um, – pitch selection than it is to to oftentimes to fix when guys are just whiffing a ton that that can be a tougher nut to crack so i'm super excited about that i do want to get your opinion because you did put it on twitter so let's we, we do need to talk a little bit about chad patrick because um sure there's something there he has a really good cutter if i'm remembering your write-up correctly yeah or at least it's classified as one. It almost seems more slider-ish. It's kind of like mid-80s instead of where his, his fastball is like 92 to 94, and when a cutter is mid-80s to me, that's more he's trying to throw a slider, and it might just be classified as a cutter. But I think it was like a 35% whiff rate on it in AAA, which is it's pretty solid. He also is, Fangraph said that it's commanded extremely well. Like he can land that pitch when he wants it, he can get it for swing and miss out of the zone. I kind of wonder if they take almost a Hunter Strickland type approach where he just comes in and throws a ton of sliders and that's the way they go with him now. And then the fastball is just mix it in, keep hitters off balance. And that's almost the change of pace, but it's an interesting arm. Anytime the brewers go out and get an arm, you can always find something that they have at least a little interest in. And a type. Yeah. Yeah. You almost always have to take note when they go out and trade for an arm. It's they have a pretty good track record of finding guys who they can kind of tinker with and just maybe make into a possible even just a up and down shuttle arm where he impacts the the MLB team and helps at least a little bit. Yeah. And it's interesting, too. I'm looking at this. He started last year and his numbers as a starter were not so great. Well, okay. (laughs) so uh, is the move coming? And then what do you see happening there? That that definitely also intrigues me. When you look at some of these strikeout to walk ratios um, are very they, they grab my attention to see the big time split between the strikeout and the walk numbers, um, but also some real problems giving up hits and especially some real home run problems. So uh, but some of that stuff can go away by eliminating the second and third time through the order. Um, I was yep. trying to find a, a first, second, third time through the order split, and I don't have it here on uh, baseball reference. So I, I don't have that. But, uh, yeah, there's there's some interesting stuff here, definitely. Uh, it looks like he misses a lot of bats. So um, positive there. On some of the other things, before we move on real quick, um, yeah, obviously we knew they were going to select Jefferson Carroll. I missed Bradley Blaylock last week, and I feel dumb about that. Yeah. I was complaining how dumb I felt for missing because that was part of the deal when they when they acquired Blaylock in exchange yeah. for Luis Urias, who, by the way, was Got traded again. <laughs> was traded again. Yeah, yeah. Instead of being non tendered, he was traded. Um, but Blaylock is a guy that they they acquired, and I think think 
uh, pretty highly of. So we should have talked about that last week. I feel very dumb for missing that. That was bad. No, but like we had Spencer on uh, right after that trade, right? And and you kind of highlighted Spencer some of the things that they might might have seen with Blaylock there as well, right? Yeah, he he's interesting. I think they made the right choice protecting him. I think he's the type of guy that a team would go out and try to hide on an MLB roster. He kind of has, I think the fastball could probably already play at MLB level. The breaking ball, people are split on whether the slider or the curveball is better, but there's reports of both of them being plus or at least above average at times, which means if a team figures, if the Brewers figure out which one they like more, they could potentially say, all right, we're going to hide you for a two pitch pitcher in the pen. If they're both decent can make it through a season pitching and kind of garbage time outings, especially on a team like the A's or something like that. So right. I do think it was worth protecting him. And he did add a splitter last year that people are saying is looking pretty good at times. It's obviously that's a tough pitch to find the command of right away, but they said it moves a lot and that he was finding the command later in the season as he went along. So he could be a four pitch guy who has a fastball that gets up to 97 um, and that's in a starting role. So it's a, it's a pretty interesting arm. I, the, the Red Sox actually got an interesting arm back for Urias also. So yeah, teams still value him apparently at least a little bit, but I think the Brewers did pretty well there. And I definitely think they made the right decision protecting him. Um, yeah. So looking at the guys that they brought in, there were a couple of minor league pitchers that uh, guys who haven't pitched in the big leagues yet, uh, who they signed to minor league deals, um, I, those are always interesting dart throws to see what the the team ends up doing uh, with guys like that because of you know this history that they have with developing guys. But I did want to talk about Yanni Hernandez just a little bit because he has been in the big leagues um, each of the last three years at least a little bit. Um, though he has bounced from team to team to team here. He he went from Texas in 2021 to Arizona in 22 to the Dodgers last year, and he hasn't stuck anywhere. And so you start to wonder, like, oh, is this a guy that just, you know, for one reason or another, teams just see talent, and then they go, okay, well, we're going to give up on this because it's not going to happen. I guess it's the Brewers' turn to see if they can try to spin straw into gold here. Um and I'm looking at it. It looks like he's a fairly decent defender. He had a, a positive defensive uh, run in 2021 when he got 166 plate appearances with the Rangers. Um, but yeah, the the offensive numbers so far in his in his big league career: 190, 286, 222. So nothing stands out really as as a big positive there. But um, it, it, this does seem like a guy who's talented. It's just a question of can they. Uh, you know, get something out of him, you know, more than what other teams have, right? Yeah, he he appears to have really good, like, bat-to-ball skills, and he's a patient enough hitter where he, he makes good swing decisions, but it just seems like he has no punch in the bat. It's, I think his, I was, <laughs> my first thought was like, oh, maybe he's kind of like Andrew Monasterio. So I went and compared their AAA, like, stat cast data, Sure. And the hard hit rate for Monasterio was like five or six times as much as it was for Hernandez. So that kind of killed that theory. I was like, oh, no. So <laughs> he really just has nothing in the bat in terms of power. But he, it seems like kind of the guy you're looking at when you go for AAA depth. It's someone who 
he's said to be a smart base runner. He's not very fast, but he steals a decent amount of bases. So people said he's super aggressive and it almost sounded like Luis Arias to me where he thinks he's faster than he is. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. But, yeah. But the, the defense is pretty legitimate and it can handle third, short and second, which is a good guy to have at AAA where you just need guys to fill in a lot of the times just to keep the lineup moving or let guys get days off. And, and it sounds like clubhouse guy, like people really like him, another type of person you want at triple a so i don't know he i think he's just depth i can't imagine he's at all what i i don't think they want to see him in the majors next year i do actually think that the one of the pitchers they signed uh anoli paradis could impact the major leagues next year he he actually does have mlb experience he's pitched in parts of three years and with the Astros was the main, I believe that was the main team he was with during those times. So, but he's mid nineties with his fastball and it's pretty high spin stuff, including a breaking ball. That's like close to 3000 RPMs. And I don't have it up right now, but I believe even his MLB, I think his MLB era is a little over three. It's not, it, it kind of reminds me of when they signed, who was the, um, balked against the Giants can't remember his name <laughs> he cost it he, he got called for a balk that lost him the game in 2022 and I can't remember his name ah. he uh he reminds me of him it was a guy who had had kind of decent surface stats even at the MLB level but he just hadn't ever gotten a real opportunity sure and yeah he he's interesting to me I I could definitely see him helping at some point next yeah year. this is interesting so he didn't pitch in 2023 in the major leagues but he did in 2020 he got in 20 innings with the all these are with the astros um and a 305 era um not great strikeout to walk numbers no. not at all <laughs> uh but the brewers sometimes deal with that and are fine with it if if a guy's coming at it from like a funky uh delivery perspective they'll deal with that and make it work um and then yeah just only eight innings and three innings in 2021 and 2022. So not, not much after that, but yeah, interesting. Okay. I didn't, yeah, I didn't catch that. He had, he had pitched in the big leagues because he wasn't in the, uh, there last year. All right. Uh, moving on. We got a few more questions here, I guess. Speaking of guys who have bounced around in multiple minor league organizations, uh, Jake Bowers, probably the most notable, at least in terms of name recognition guys that they brought back in those trades, just because, you know, he was a Yankee and Yankee fans complained about him a lot on Twitter. But uh, Kevin Stern asking, am I wrong in thinking Jake Bowers isn't an upgrade over Rowdy Telez? Why does this team keep throwing spaghetti at first base when it's clear they need guys to rake at the corners? Should we expect Tyler Black to take over first base at some point in the 2024 season? So um, I guess real quick, Spencer, your thoughts on Jake Bowers and is he just spaghetti on the wall, as Paul likes to say, or is there still something there that could be untapped? I think it's probably both. I think it is just <laughs> taking a chance, but he did make some changes when he got to the Yankees. I think Jack Stern t- tweeted a, a picture out, but he closed his stance up and he's more upright and his batted ball data did improve quite a bit after that he his hard hit rate was 48.7 percent 
And on balls in play, he had a expected weighted on base average of 490, which is very good. He tripled his barrel rate from the year prior to all the way up to 18.7%. So the issue is that he had a 34.9% strikeout rate. So yeah. <laughs> when he made contact, he hit the ball hard and he hit it. He hit it. He, hit, he had 12 homers and 272 plate appearances. But I think the Brewers must think, okay, we might be able to get the bat the ball to be a little bit better. And they probably think the, the power jump is legitimate. He is hitting the ball much harder than he ever has. I'm sure they think, kind of like they took a chance with a guy like Rowdy. Mm-hmm. It was someone who had shown promise in the past. He was kind of getting blocked. He had better batted ball data than he had actual results. I think they're taking a, a shot on him just possibly finding that power a little more consistently or finding the bat to ball a little more consistently. Um, I did feel like it was a pretty decent price to pay for Jake Bowers. Yeah, I do like Jay Sabina. Kind of reminds me of Bowers at the lower levels. He he did have strikeout problems, but those improved a lot over the season as it went. He struck out much less after the first month or two, and the power was there. Good athlete for the Yankees. I there's it's a good idea on their part to try this. There's no reason not to take someone like Avina back for Bowers, but I do get what the Brewers are looking at. It's a even if you do say it's the same as Rowdy you're getting him at like a quarter of the price. So sure. I guess why not take that shot? And in terms of Tyler Black, I do think there's a pretty decent chance that that ends up being what happens. But I also think right now, Tyler Black would probably be your third baseman rather than first <laughs> base. And I'm not sure that's the best idea, but I think he could do it. And I think that's probably where it would, if this offseason ended today, that's probably more how it would line up. Yeah, I think this is mostly a speculative thing, too, because and the Brewers have shown they paid Abraham Toro last year, what, one point two million, one point one, somewhere in that neighborhood and barely had him on the big league roster. He was depth. And he actually when he did come up, he was good. He he hit well. Um, So the idea that like Bowers is somehow slotted into the roster at this point, I think is a huge leap. I don't think that uh, there's a pretty good chance we never see Jake Bowers or we see him on such a limited basis that it it doesn't end up really impacting. And I think they're, they're uh, once again, this is the, they're lining up spaghetti to throw at the wall and see if something sticks to see if they can get, you know, maybe Bowers does have like a hot run of 200 plate appearances or something over a couple months where he is just smacking the crap out of the ball and they are able to get, you know, a, a good run out of him. I think it's that sort of a thing they're trying to, to give themselves an option and depth remember how much they struggled to try to find somebody who could play first base this last year because it was like everything they tried. Rowdy got hurt. Um, Darren Ruff got hurt. Luke Voigt was terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. John Singleton wasn't good uh, with us. So it, <laughs> it was just every single thing that they tried at that position went wrong. Uh, but a hallmark of this management team and what they do is to build up depth. And Jake Bowers is depth. I don't think he's necessarily slotted in anywhere at this point it's just depth yeah and i think it's a decent you know gamble to make considering he brewers also like their post-hype prospects right and jake bowers was a former top 100 guy was a piece in a couple 
significant trades. He was in the Trey Turner to Washington trade. Yep. He was in the Edward Encarnacion, Carlos Santana swap. Like he, he's a guy who, you know, prospect folks like Ryan have been aware of for a long time. He just hasn't really put it together. But sometimes the Brewers do like to find those 26 year old late bloomers, so to speak. So a mm-hmm. decent roll of the dice there. Um, of course, that move accompanied uh, Rowdy Telez, formerly being non-tendered, kind of expected, not super surprising, but still, you know, tough to see sometimes those those favorite characters of ours go. Ian Pomplin asking in memoriam to Rowdy Telez, what's your favorite memories from his three seasons with the club? Um, I, I think for me, it starts with a walk-off Grand Slam, Spencer, but what do you think? Probably the go-ahead homer against the Braves in that NLDS game one. That was the stadium was, I believe, already chanting Rowdy as he was at the plate. And then he <laughs> hit the two run homer to take the lead. Like, that's a cool yeah. moment. That was really, that's probably one of my favorite memories. And honestly, I just really enjoyed his interviews. Yeah. He, his dry sense of humor is exactly, that's my sense of humor. Like, I love dry <laughs> humor. So he, he always made me laugh when I would listen to him messing with reporters or teammates or whoever. But he he was a really good guy. I think he was a good teammate. It kind of sucks that he just stopped hitting in 2023. Yeah. There was a chance he could have – I thought he might break out and have a really big season offensively, and he went the complete opposite way. So sucks to see, but that's kind of what happens when you have guys like him and you're trying out different things all the time. Yeah, I think – I mean, recency bias is all over this one, but – Mm-hmm. The really fitching outing. I mean, come yes. on. That, like, I, oh, like, yeah. we will all remember that formation. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it clinched the division and it was it was amazing. Like it was just it was something special. So <laughs> that one, that one will always like live in the heart. But yeah, he hit some big dingers. Like the dude was capable of hitting and pulling the ball. Um, you know, not hitting opposite field home runs, which <laughs> yeah. was great. Like he could actually do what like big first baseman. Uh, you kind of think what they're going to do, which is hit the ball a really far distance. And he did that. And it's a good sort of way to remember that, like, the Brewers have been really good at finding guys like Rowdy in, you know, like relatively minor trades uh, throughout this tenure of, of Stearns and Arnold. Like, they've done this over and over and over again. And you take and, uh, and put those guys and plug them in I, you know daniel vogelbach also got uh uh non-tendered the other day so he did. yep you know maybe maybe we see him come back i'm just <laughs> kidding i mean well but actually who knows like whatever it, it, it there's there is a place for rotating through uh guys like this on your roster because you're not going to have strength everywhere and to be able to do this where you're getting a you know a considerable amount of production out of first base, despite like paying them nothing and like giving up nothing to get them for the most part. Like that's, that's a very good thing to be able to do. And something that the Brewers are going to have to do to be competitive because you know, you're not gonna have superstars in every position. All right. Uh, moving on. Cause we've still got a few questions to get through and we've run really long this week with all the news. We knew uh, it was going to be long. We knew. I know, I know. All right, uh, Brian Polakowski asking, with the team as currently constituted, 
Let's hear some way too early record predictions. I'll start with 85 wins in the last wild card spot, which Murphy gets the crew hot going all the way to the World Series, losing in seven to preserve the playoff streak of losing to the other World Series appearing team. Uh, I guess current roster, Spencer, uh, how many wins are you seeing? Well, I have to give the – this will not be the roster when they get to spring no, training. It won't be. But the current roster – I do think they could probably be a 500-ish team with the current roster. It's still the NL Central that they're playing in. We don't know what other teams are going to do during the offseason. The Cubs definitely sound like they're going to be willing to go out and spend a lot of money. But as currently constituted, the Cubs just lost Marcus Stroman, their second-best starter, and their yep. best hitter. So like they would be worse than the Brewers as currently right. constituted, I yeah. think. So Yeah, yeah. It, it's a hard question to answer that way. But I would say, I mean, 85 wins doesn't sound wrong to me with the current roster i could see that happening yeah given all the deficiencies elsewhere in the division like (laughs) i mean it's like us and the reds because we know that the cubs are going to spend we know the cardinals are going to go out and have to buy some starting pitching like we know that's going to happen but it hasn't happened yet so if we're taking the hit on the current roster then they do too so yeah 80 85 86 wins they haven't been below 86 wins since 2016 guys well 2020 but 2020 doesn't count for anything it doesn't exist so yeah since it has been literally in they won 86 games in 2017 like they have not been below 86 since then so yeah all right sean mcelmeal asking what do you think about free agent jd martinez not the typical brewers type because he offers no defensive value but would still be a nice right-handed power bat in the lineup uh so you know if we're looking for power ryan maybe him yeah but like he says it's a dh only there's no sending him out with a glove to left field anymore that's not it's not the project here that's not what we're doing um he would be a pure dh and that's just tough given what else they already have like i think christian yelich is going to need to dh a bunch if for no other reason than we have so many outfielders let's get him pushed over in that direction some yelich may be playing first base some too who knows how that's going to go but this it would be a tough roster fit for jd martinez because basically he would be an everyday dh and Mm -hmm. that is it's something that like that seems just anathema to like the the stearns arnold program like how they're gonna run things it just that seems like a tough one and also the the possibility of collapse for jd martinez i know he did have a good year last year but people he was coming off of like not a great year the year before and people were kind of thinking um Is he done yeah. yeah people were wondering because yeah he, he bounced from a 867 ops in 2021 down to a 790 in 2022 and people were like okay He's 34. Is this it? Is it, you know, is it finally caught up to him? And then he bounced right back to a, an 893 and a 134 OPS plus. This is really good last year, and he would definitely help. Um, but, yeah, just the roster fit of it just seems so on Brewers. And I also just kind of feel like, isn't he just going to go back to Boston? Like, isn't that what's going to happen here? He's just going to go back there and sign. And, like, I, I don't know that he wants to go to Milwaukee. That's always the thing you have to remember with this stuff is like, <laughs> yeah. does this guy want to come and and do the Milwaukee thing or do they want to be on national TV all the time and like be in a, you know, like, he, look at this. He's bounced from uh, Boston to the Dodgers like in the last, you know, decade here or half decade. So, 
yeah, I don't know that he would be interested in it anyway, even if we could get him. So it, it seems extremely unlikely, but yeah, you know, stranger things have happened. All right. Last question this week comes from my only lemonade asking uh, the Mets recently recently released the details of David Stearns's contract. It's five years and $50 million, which was only slightly higher than what Craig Council received from the Cubs. Is it possible that the Brewers were reluctant to pay Council more than Matt Arnold? I feel like that would have created an awkward power dynamic. Um, Interesting thing I haven't really considered, but maybe possible you know there there is you know always those concerns of oh when the coach makes more than the gm not even just in you know baseball that okay who's really the more seen as the more valuable piece here and who wins those arguments so i I guess spencer any thoughts on that dynamic yeah like you said i hadn't thought of that before but it it wouldn't shock me if that did factor into it a little bit we don't i don't i don't know matt arnold's contract or what he's making currently, but I would be a little surprised if it was eight million a year yeah, or it's higher. Not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> so I could see that being a little bit of a tough spot to be in for Mark in terms of almost feeling like if I do pay counsel, I also might need to raise Arnold's contract here. And now it is starting to get a little bit more, even more expensive to keep the manager. Um, that is an interesting thought. I, I, I could see it creating a weird dynamic if they did give council more money than Arnold and didn't increase Arnold's pay because Arnold would obviously know <laughs> like, it would be a, it would be a little bit of a weird spot to be in. Yeah, I did speculate about this over the summer, James. I did mention it, but we didn't really even at that point, we didn't know that council was actually for sure leaving. It was all really speculation. And I wondered if something like this could be a problem, like I, it wasn't even a question of did I think it was it was like. What, what would that mean if you do have like a manager making like three times what the general manager makes what does that do to the power dynamic in that situation does it you create some sort of imbalance is it is it something you don't want um i'm a pretty firm believer that you don't give the manager more power than the gm the gm is the boss they're the ones who's doing things the manager sort of needs to follow their lead i think that that's important and that's the way it should be and I do wonder if that got a little bit tricky this last year with Arnold, you know, ascending to the the top position and uh, from a position of, you know, previously him and council would have been more on kind of the same level. I've, I've speculated about that. I've wondered, but we don't know. So there's kind of more questions than answers in this, but I think there's something here. There's something about this that like, you don't necessarily want the manager to get, more power and more uh, you know sort of uh yeah more power and more say in an organization than the than the gm um like that is that is a potential problem and so that could have played into this whole thing though it i mean if they were willing to offer him 5.5 million which you know paul thinks that that was a cc sabathia they weren't actually offering that deal um I think they would have been happy if he had accepted it. They would have been fine with it. But uh, it's like, I, I don't know. This is this is a really tricky one and something that, yeah, it, I don't know how these things work within the the framework of the, the power of a front office. Does the salary really matter or is it other factors? I, sure. I just don't have a good answer here. Yeah. 
All right, uh, that'll do it for Patreon questions. Uh, time to give out some shout-outs to new patrons, Ryan. Who do we have this week joining us? Yeah, I think we already did Zach Van Wy. Um, maybe we did, but because uh, that was like two weeks ago now. And then last week, we missed Dennis Williams uh, in the midst of go. all of our craziness. So yeah. thank you, guys. Uh, we appreciate it, and uh, uh, welcome aboard. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Reminder, you can go and become a patron as little as two bucks a month. Patreon.com slash MKE tailgates. Uh, before we go, I'm going to steal a line from Paul. Spencer, do you have anything to plug? He asks, <laughs> knowing you do. Yeah. So a buddy of mine from college, Gunnar Amalunk, and I decided to start a podcast of our own. It's called the Cream City Club Podcast. It is available on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube currently, but really we just discussed the Brewers and the Bucks. We're both huge fans of both. We have kind of thought about doing this since we were in college, and the council move is really what spurred us to eventually decide to start it, but something new. We're definitely working on it, trying to get better, but uh, if you, it'd be great if you could give us a try, give us a Give us a look and see how we're doing and be great if you guys want to join us and listen. Absolutely. Uh, super excited for you. Sounds like a lot of fun. And everybody go check that out and, you know, give them a five-star review as well while you're giving us a five-star review. That'd be great. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for stepping in, Spencer. Thanks for everybody sticking through this uh, extra long episode. But uh, a it's lot of last them through the the break. So I was gonna say, yeah, that that's gonna do it. And and as Ryan mentioned, we're gonna take a week off for Thanksgiving. So hopefully that th this you know gets you through those couple of weeks. We'll see you guys here in December. So uh, have a good Thanksgiving, everyone. We'll see you then here on Milwaukee's. Three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is episode 310 of Walmaki's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yep. Did you say, did you say Milwaukee's? Yeah. No, I don't think you did. <laughs> hold on. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm just still waking up. Yeah. Me we do too. one. Okay. <clears throat> okay, hold on. Let's restart it. Okay, yeah, go ahead, whenever. <laughs> All right. Uh, three, two, one.